Hi, I'm Lucy Adams from Disruptive HR. Welcome to one of our podcast series where you'll hear from HR practitioners who are genuinely doing things differently. If you're looking to change your HR practices, then why not check out the Disruptive HR Club? It's got tons of videos, webinars and downloadable guides that will give you all the ideas and practical help you'll need. Check it out at www.disruptivehr.club. So hello and welcome to another podcast from Disruptive HR, or if you're looking at this on the club, I think it's actually called a vodcast because we're actually uh, able to see our guest today. Hello, Joel Barnett. Hello, Lucy Adams. Good How to see you. How are you doing? I am right now. I'm OK, but I think like most people, the answer to that question depends on the time of day you ask it um, and everything going on. Watching in enough Netflix? I am watching plenty of Netflix. I am. I got myself a Peloton the other day. So I got oh, very impressive. Life changing. Yeah, I know people who've got into that. They say that it's just fantastic. Brilliant. I just don't think I can actually bring myself to pay for yet another fitness related subscription that then just sits there. I just I just don't know if I can bring myself to do that. Anyway, we're going to be talking about recruitment we're going to be talking about search which i know is a term that can get get you a bit riled um but that's the business you're in you're managing director and founder of fortune hill so tell us a bit about how you got into that how you set it up and also perhaps tell us a little bit about the words search firm that drives you spare sure okay I just for the record i have no issue with the word search it's the word executive that I that I object so it's to connect that drives you mad. But I'll explain. So so uh, I get the boring bit out of the way first. Let me tell anybody who doesn't know me about me. Um, so I I trained as a search consultant. I was then given a bit of advice by a client who uh, went on to be the, the the HR director of a massive global organisation. He said to me, "Look, if you want to be able to differentiate yourself from every other bloody headhunter out there, go and walk a mile in the shoes of your client." Yeah. Don't understand what it's like to be on the client side as part of an HR team. And that way, you'll see the impact of people when they're in a business, which, by the way, is very different to when they're a candidate in a process when you're thinking about recruiting them into a business. Sure. You'll see what happens when people are unbelievably successful. You'll see what happens when it doesn't work out. You'll get to understand what best practice assessment looks like, so how to accurately predict human performance. You'll get to understand this culture fit thing that everybody seems to be talking about. Um, what does that actually really mean in practice? And, uh, and you'll also get the benefit of working with external uh, recruitment providers as well. So I did like four and a half years with an entrepreneur called John Cordwell, three years with a company called HomeServe with an agreement that if I did a good job, they'd help me set up my own business. Um, and HomeServe, who, who actually entered the FTSE 100 uh, about six months ago, um, I'm proud to say 12 and a half years later, are still a cornerstone client for us. So, shall I tell you what, I, what my problem with executive search is? Yeah, tell us what your problem with executive, I mean, that's a fairly common term, isn't it? It is, it is. And, and, and right from the very beginning, um, when I set up the business, I set it up from the the point of view of a customer, so with customer need in mind, and I started to try and rethink all aspects of the world of executive search. Um, and 
we wanted to make clear the reason we, we've rebadged ourselves. So we now no longer refer to ourselves as an executive search consultancy. We talk about Fortune Hill as a leadership search consultancy. And part of that is we wanted to make clear, Lucy, that we, just, we don't just do the same things that every other search consultancy yeah, does. It must be quite hard to differentiate yourself. You, you, you can be really gimmicky about it. There's lots of gimmicks that you can come up with. But we wanted to really stand out on our own and, and prove that we've actually tried to engineer a way of working that delivers the best outcomes for organisations and the people uh, we, uh, we work with. And, and executive search firms seem to follow a conventional set of working practices that seem to serve them before mm. they necessarily serve their, their stakeholders. There's a whole load of illogical stuff that people just accept about executive search firms. For example, nobody has ever been able to explain to me why an executive search consultancy would charge a percentage of the candidate's salary as a mechanism for calculating their fee. It, it doesn't make sense to me in any, in any shape or form. And it just even the sound of it, when you stop and think about it, executive search, it sounds like something out of the 80s. Yeah. Even describing people as executives is outdated. It conjures up visions of people sitting behind mahogany desks, whereas the type of organisations that we want to work with, uh, we do work with, thankfully, are the type of organisations who need leaders, you know, people who yeah. make things happen, people who drive change and outcomes. Um, and we also don't believe that you have to be in the C-suite to, to be classified as a leader. Yeah. In businesses, it's accepted that people at all levels of the business can have a huge impact commercially and culturally. And, and that's what we exist to do as a company. That's where we get our buzz from. Everything we do connects to this purpose we have, which is to enhance our business partners' business performance and their culture and to positively impact people's lives. So how have you fared during this hideous year? What's, um, what's the uh, what's the search whether it be leadership search or any other type of search you know what what's the market been like has it just been dead no it hasn't it's been depressed it's been hesitant and uncertain um, but it is still alive um it was dead so so if I, I think back to lockdown uh, the first lockdown, mm. um, I lost count of how many we've we've experienced in London. <laughs> um, but basically, we walked in to, to 2020 full of optimism, new strategy in place to focus on um, two things and two things only, the things that we consider to be the most important considerations for any business, which are its people, so HR, and its customers, so marketing functions. Um, and we were flying and literally everything ground to a halt uh, at the beginning of that first lockdown. Um, it probably took about two months for any sense of recovery because people, yeah. I think people were in shock, that. weren't they? I mean, aside from the fact if you're dealing with HR at that point, then they're going into sorting out furlough and, and all of that awful stuff. But actually, I think we were all so in shock. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And people now are somewhat accustomed to juggling their professional commitments with the requirement to school your kids from home, for example. Yeah. Um, whereas before, none of us had any clue what we were doing. Uh, and so things did grind to, to a halt for a kind of whole plethora of, uh, uh, of different, uh, different reasons. Uh, but what we're seeing now, um, and it's been like this since the summer, is we're seeing organisations being slower to make decisions. So we're finding that the time between a company coming to us and saying, we may need your help, and them actually yeah. pressing the button on a retained search has been elongated. 
and that's I, I think there's so many things on their agenda people, people both as a, a collective and at an individual person level um that it's taking people longer to to do things i think conservatism is the thing that certainly in the uk we default to when things are uncertain there are some notably incredibly brave businesses out there and there are some sectors that are flying, right? So, so if yeah. you look at companies in tech, in entertainment, in health and wellness, in health and wellness, in food, you know, some of the mutual clients that we coexist in yeah. um, with, with you guys, some of them are doing unbelievably well, better than ever. And, and, and you know, the, the 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 ones that have humility will sort of slightly, be slightly ashamed of the fact they're prospering <laughs> despite everything else that's going on in the world. But there is a there is a level of demand. There are lots of people on the market, so supply outweighs demand currently. So is in much many more people than there are jobs. Um, however, the reality of it is, Lucy, if demand for the very best people, you know, the game changers, yeah. will always outweigh supply. Because businesses that have the high standards that you should have when you go to market to recruit, that desire to bring in the very best possible person at the pay grade that you're operating at, um, they'll always find it challenging to identify, attract, and hire the very, very best people. So there'll always be a level of movement. Interestingly, are you seeing, are you seeing um, changes in the types of HR people? I'm going to focus on the HR side, because yeah. most of our, our listeners and viewers are, are HR. Um, are they looking for different things from HR, or was it just more of the same, that ability to cope with disruption? Have you noticed the shift over the last year or so? Not really. So, so not not... So I've, no, I've noticed a shift in the last few years in that more is expected, in the main, more is expected of the HR function than it had perhaps historically been. Yeah. Um, and, but I haven't noticed a shift in terms of the type of requirements that are, that are, that are coming our way. And when you say more is expected, what do you mean? Hmm. So I think there has been a bit of an awakening in business. Um, in recent times that the people agenda is the most important consideration for any business. Without the right people in the right places, with the right focus, you've got nothing as an organization. If you're a tech company, people still build the tech. People still deploy the tech to make it work. Yeah. People still fix the tech when something goes wrong and people still market and sell and manage customers who actually use the tech. Um, and so I think as a consequence of the fact that you know, if, if you're involved in business, you can't um, you can't escape the sentiment that people are the most important consideration. Um, and there's no greater truism as far as I'm concerned. And um, I think people are now expecting more of the people function. They're expecting that you know, and I think you're responsible for this little bit here, which is that, that there isn't a one size fits all approach. That we have a similar level of personalization that our customers would expect from the, um, the way that we, we, we deal with them, the way that we treat them. Um, there have been certain pressures like the, the diversity agenda yeah. that um, wrongly, in my opinion, has been slung over to the HR function to, uh, to handle. It's everybody's issue in a business and indeed in society, not just the, uh, the poor HR director to be, to be lumbered with that particular thorny uh, minefield, minefield of an issue. I know I love it when um, you know, directors in the past have said to me, oh, Lucy, we want you to be the conscience of the business, as if you can kind of abdicate your conscience to, a party to somebody sitting in a chair down the, road, you know, down the way. It makes me laugh. Um, 
But, it, but interestingly, the, thing, the, the, the observation, I've got a, 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 um, a bit of a prediction to share with you, in that I am pretty damn certain that the HR recruitment marketplace at a senior level, mid to senior level, will become very, very buoyant in a few months' time. So you heard it here first. Because? Because I had two forces that will, will drive that, um, that level of, of, of change. And one is, I think you'll see senior HR people basically just throwing the towel in. Um, they're just exhausted. They're exhausted. Um, you, the number of people I've been speaking to who have been lent on by the rest of their business, mm. um, who have you know, been responsible for tens of thousands of people in the population and, and, and had to furlough them, unfurlough them, refurlough them again, open sites, close sites, make people redundant, um, persuade people to take reductions in salary all while managing their own team, supporting all their colleagues to do the same, and often looking after you know, parents that might be at risk or you know, yeah. other members of the family, homeschooling children, et cetera. I think people are, quite frankly, exhausted. And I certainly saw that at the back end of last year where an awful lot of people I know just shut down for Christmas and said, you know what, mm. I've had enough. Everything else can wait. Because I think sometimes um, businesses, uh, leaders in businesses and other functions don't appreciate that HR people are human. Yeah, and they've got feelings too, and they get... <laughs> it's so true, yeah, it's so thing, true. The other thing that will drive this, and this is, this, is, this is interesting, is I see a lot of people who are staying in the jobs they have currently uh, because of a sense of duty. And actually, the way that businesses have responded to the crisis has jarred with their own personal values. So, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day who basically said, Look, you know, I I did stand up to the, the leadership team and I said we will absolutely not prioritize the, our responsibility to our shareholders above our responsibility to our people, much like the logic I used a moment ago. You know, without our people, we have no business. Um, and the shareholders should recognize that they might take a hit in the short term, but we're going to be driving long-term sustainable value for them by protecting mm. the, the, the magic that we've created. Um and and but you're seeing a lot of people who, I'm seeing a lot of people rather, who um, are really at odds with the way that their businesses have, have behaved. And there are companies, I mean, this is my, my opinion is that companies will be judged by their people and their customers for the way that they behave during this crisis. Um, you, the way that you behave will determine your brand in the eyes of the people who work for you and the customers that you purport to serve. Um, nothing you write in a customer charter or shove up on the wall in your office about your values or guidelines will be remembered. And I think the companies who have treated people badly, one big retailer I heard of the other day who's still insisting that people at many levels of management are coming into the office, despite the obvious risks to their yeah. health doing so, they'll see a massive exodus of talent. And of course, I think you're absolutely right about this kind of, you know, what will determine your brand? You know, what did you do in the war, daddy type? Um, stuff it's you know how did you respond to covid i think will will be um will determine that brand so imagine that you you know you're sitting there and an email uh, arrives and it's uh, somebody now i'm sure that you've got other people that do the cv sifting but i'm just trying to get to what would be the kind of hrcv that you think oh goody i can place this person really easily what would be the things that would really leap out at you what a great question. Um, so, so I'm going to ignore the aesthetic of the document. I mean, everyone's got their own rules on CVs. 
Um, I actually place very little emphasis on the way the CV is presented. I'm very interested in the story it tells me. So let's talk about the story that I'm seeing. And that's not the story that they put in the top bit of the profile where they're a motivated self-starter, which I would always ignore and go straight to what they actually done, yeah. I've never read. I've never seen a CV that says, actually, you know what, I'm bang average and fundamentally lazy. Um, Everybody tells you, you know, uses all sorts of superlatives in their uh, their personal profile. Bang average and fundamentally lazy. I've worked with a few of them, yeah. I I, want to lead on to a point about what's wrong with recruitment in the way that the way the companies recruit in a second. Um, But, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, I've yet to meet anybody who's actually ever sat in a meeting. You're looking for a kind of narrative that the, the CV's telling you a story about this is who I am, this is what I've done. And, and, it, and it is very simply, I want to see where have you worked, how long have you worked there? Not because I'm going to get seduced by the prestige of the brands on the CV. I learned a long time ago not to allow myself or my, my partners, my clients to, uh, uh, to, to get seduced by brands. Um, I'm interested in how long have you been, where you've been, what have you actually been able to make happen in that time? Yeah. And I like longevity. I recognize that you know, we come from a generation where people are expected to stay in jobs a lot longer than they perhaps are now, where there's more of a sense where you're borrowing each other's time for as long as it's sort of reciprocally uh, uh, suitable for each other, beneficial for each other to do so. But I like to see people who've been around long enough to actually drive proper change, to lay down a strategy, make something happen. So it's the amount of time that they've spent in, in the companies and whether they can talk to actually having delivered tangible, measurable, commercial achievements. Um, if I can answer a slightly different question, when I get to actually meet somebody, what really excites me is, first of all, somebody who is genuinely passionate about what HR, what the people function, can deliver for a business. Because you I know that there is... There are actually still quite a number of people in HR who I think are really fed up with yeah. HR and, and almost kind of stop believing. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, and I think you always see these kind of divergent groups of people who are hugely optimistic um, and uh, uh, you know, come into the world of HR um, either directly early in their career because they wanted to be part of the function that drives the people agenda recognizing it's a people agenda that can drive the success of a business. And you also see, I think, unfortunately, a bunch of people who are tarnished, who have been tarnished, their views have been tarnished by the time that they've spent in the HR world to this point. Um, and they've been you know, sort of beaten down and are almost waiting for the end to come. Um, yeah. When yeah. I meet somebody and they're passionate, they're first of all, passion's infectious, right? It doesn't mean they're good at what they do, but it's a nice start to meet yeah. somebody that actually gives a shit. Am I allowed to say shit on your podcast, by the way? You've just said it, so there we go. <laughs> so, they're basically somebody who actually cares and therefore going to be, is going to be motivated to try and move the agenda, move the needle. Um, I, I want to see somebody who's embraced innovation and not in a theoretical way. Nothing leaves me more cold than somebody sort of espousing the latest theories, and uh, um, but actually somebody who put stuff into practice, modified it for, you know, taken some learning from elsewhere, modified it for their business to make it fit for purpose and did, done something which actually enhances the business's environment, its culture, to make that business environment and culture conducive to brilliant people being at their brilliant best. Um, people who are commercial, this is really, really interesting. So we've just done a chief people officer search for a pretty notable consumer brand, not announced yet, so can't share details with you. But one of the, the, the chief executive and, and, and chairpersons 
um, prerequisites as far as uh, qualifying criteria for the role was we want someone who's genuinely commercial. So what we would do in, the, in, in our sessions with people is we basically said to them, so just explain in idiot's terms for, for my benefit, how does your business make money? Mm. And Lucy, some of the answers were laughable. Honestly, some of the answers, people just don't understand their customers. They don't understand how their business actually works at basic economic level. So somebody who can tell me how their business makes money you know, it's on that, um, you know, Tanith Dodge, don't you? So Tanith, obviously, you know, one of the, the UK's top HR directors, um, gone into um, plural work now, but, but you know, M&S and WH Smith, and, you know, Diageo and so on. And she did a podcast with us, um, I think, a couple of episodes ago. But that's exactly what she was talking about when she was looking for people for her team is, you know, how few of them actually knew what drove the business to make money and then applying a people agenda in relation to that. But um, that's quite bad now. You'd think that that was just a hygiene factor for HR. Yes, I agree with her. And I agree with your sentiment that it's not good enough and Mm. it needs to improve. And I actually, I actually am, maybe I'm just feeling particularly optimistic today, but this could be quite conceivably the age of the CPO in the way that, you know, in recent history, we've had the age of the chief information officer or chief technology officer and the age of the uh, chief finance officer, because increasingly chief executives are savvy to the fact that if mm. you get the people piece right, then other stuff looks after itself, right? So, so you know, a number of people quote out that Silicon Valley saying that, um, you know, talent eats or culture eats strategy for breakfast, um, and and I think if you can add talent into that mix, you're actually genuinely onto a really winning formula. I think that that increasingly you're seeing some really good people moving into the people function early on in their career. And as we roll forward, I'm really hopeful that we'll see HR nail the opportunity, really step mm. up. And you'll start to see it becoming increasingly common that the chief people officer is the conciliary to the chief executive. Yeah. And more so, where the real testament as to whether things work for the HR function is, is whether you then start seeing chief executives coming from an HR background being you know, more commonly yeah. in situ. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's less than 5% of CEOs have an HR background currently. I'm surprised it's even that much. Yeah. Um, let's just wrap things up with your take on the recruitment you know, market generally or the way that companies recruit. And, you know, you obviously see it from the you know, side of the supply side. What do you think companies are, are doing right? What are they perhaps getting wrong? What would you like to see happen? Just give us your take on that. Yeah, so, so it's much easier to talk about what companies are getting wrong rather than getting right. Uh, but I will make note to self to talk about the positives as well. So the, the, the most obvious thing is this swing towards, accelerated swing towards having an internal function that does all of the recruitment which is a brilliant concept and one that I'm wholly supportive of. And I've run two internal recruitment uh, functions for highly successful businesses. If you get it right, it's great. But often what they're actually doing is um, considering recruitment as a cost rather than than an investment, basically creating a function that's massively short staff, therefore cuts corners, tries to do one of the most important activities that any business um, undertakes, which is getting the right people into the organization. Um, and, and the result is 
that they might be able to source candidates, but they're sourcing them from very narrow pools because yeah. typically they're uh, using adver uh, advertisements, you know, much like we used to advertise in the Sunday Times. People are now just doing that in digital form. And so they're seeing pretty much usually the 15% of people and in, in, in qualified people who are actively looking for a job at, at any one time. Um, but also they're, letting, they're putting massive pressure on the HR function and you're often seeing, you know, some poor sap who's got 30 vacant positions across a range of disciplines they can't hope to be an expert in or have the right connectivity yeah. or understanding of the talent landscape in. They're advertising and trawling through CVs, which is an administrative nightmare, or worse, they're using an AI tool to sift through and grade applications. So a couple of things wrong with that. One is the best people rarely look at job adverts in the first place. So you're appealing to um, uh, the smallest population you could be, and therefore the mathematical likelihood of you appointing the best possible person diminishes as a consequence. And the other thing is that you're inviting people to apply into a black hole and worse still, potentially get rejected for a job by a robot which I don't know about your view, but mine is that would be deeply offensive. <laughs> then, then relying, and this is this is something I'm, I'm on a bit of a mission to, to, to correct, they're then relying on interviews to determine the best fit. And interviews are shit. Um, basically, companies don't really train their leaders how to actually represent the business in a consistent way, which, by the way, is a really highly effective way of setting cultural expectations, in my experience. Let alone do they actually train them how to assess people and give the you know an accurate prediction of human performance. So what happens is people then recruit in their own image, yeah. and then if the leader who recruited that person doesn't work out, the chances are the person who they recruited doesn't work out. And you know, we've we, we've trained quite a lot of companies as to how to effectively interview, and um, it doesn't involve interrogating people in a high pressure artificial situation, unless of course one of the prerequisites of the role is being able to comfortably operate under extreme duress. Um, you know, you usually see the worst of people when you shine a light in their eyes and ask them questions designed to trip them up. Um, or worse still, you're going to get... I think I've had a couple of roles where that should have been in the job description, <laughs> operating under extreme duress, but I'm that's sure. another story. I'm sure. I do, I do, I absolutely get this idea of the kind of the, you know, HR as sort of process, administration, filtering, sifting... And, and what I'd love to see HR getting much more involved in is facilitating leaders to develop a kind of talent community, you know, so they're, you know, having cups of coffee with, they're using LinkedIn to blog, um, they're connecting with people when they haven't got a vacancy and actually building those relationships. So at the point where they do have a role, they've already got a sense of what the talent is like out there. So few of us do it, you know, I mean, myself included. It's it's one of those things that will probably get demoted down the priority list on a daily basis. You know, it conceptually makes a lot of sense, but, you know, not many people have got the time. Yeah, no, I know, I know. So, excited about 2021, it sounds like. I am, I am. That's good to hear. And there's a lovely, for those of you who, who aren't watching this but only listen to it, Joel's got a poster behind him which just says, work hard and be nice to people. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good set of values to have. I, I think it, it seems to have worked so far. And, and actually, I would encourage consultants in, in all manner of disciplines that to be successful, 
you can also be nice. Yeah. Well, let's let's leave it on that note because I think that's a hugely positive way to end it. Jill, thanks so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more resources to help you change HR, check out the Disruptive HR Club at www.disruptivehr.club.